All right, good to have you aboard another episode of White Collar Crimes, where we show you the only color that truly matters in the criminal justice system is green. Ryan Horn, your host again for this one. Going to do one with a little local flavor. Uh, it's definitely a fa- infamous case in the southern Illinois area where I am now, particularly in the southeastern Illinois part. But tonight, I'm going to discuss John Crenshaw and how he ran a reverse underground railroad here in southern Illinois. Now, John Hart Crenshaw, as his birth name is, was born in North Carolina in 1797. Um, Little's really known or reported about his childhood, which is, you know, not uncommon to people who were born back at that time. And it's little known also exactly when he really migrated his way to Illinois because in 1797, uh, Illinois was not a state then. We did not officially become a state until 1818. So a little bit of time in between there, but nonetheless, he made his way over to this way. And eventually he owned some salt mines in an area known as Equality, Illinois, which is in southeastern Illinois, uh, in the Harrisburg, Illinois area down in there, not too awfully far from really Kentucky or Indiana, you know, for that matter, really. But uh, salt mine work then especially, and this is the days before, you know, the modern technology and equipment and things that we have now, was very brutal and I can imagine especially so in the summertime any of you that have spent any time in this area at all know here in the lower midwest and the southern states the humidity and the heat in the summertime is absolutely unbearable and the winters here can be quite harsh too Uh, you know we joke there's a saying where I live here in southern Illinois if you don't like the weather wait five minutes it'll change and you know, a lot of times throughout a year, this can really be a difficult job to do. You know, it can be very brutally cold in the winter, but I can imagine this would be an especially difficult job in the summer because, as I said, the summers here are quite brutal with the heat and humidity, and it was hard to get people to do that kind of work. And this was not an uncommon practice either. That Basically, they, you know, a lot of people at time at jobs like that had to import you know, convict, prisoner labor, or, you know, indentured servants, you know, slaves, recently freed slaves, maybe that, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to find work anywhere else. We're doing this type of work because you couldn't really pay people enough work, enough money back then to do this kind of work. So Crenshaw, though, nonetheless, salt is a good business. I mean, obviously it is today and continues to be, but he owned uh, several salt mines throughout all this area. And became quite wealthy but as we've always talked about on this show that's oftentimes not enough for people either the wealth that they have and mr crenshaw soon began to get involved in the kidnapping and selling of freed black citizens and began transporting them to southern states to be sold back into slavery because again you know southern illinois is a was a free state during the civil war but Again, those of you not familiar with the area where I'm at here, we still are very close to the southern U.S., and it was very possible to, you know, travel to Kentucky or Tennessee, Arkansas, a lot of states like that that were slave states. You can travel even back then from southern Illinois here in a very short period of time to do business like that. So it was a profitable business. Now, you know, had he been operating in the northern part of the state around Chicago or something, this probably would have been a much more difficult task to do. But we were very close to uh, 
some areas that were, you know, slave states for lack of better words and easy to make money on a business like this. So he sold them back and uh, he also took in slaves, uh, even though that's not what uh, he went on record as buying, but he took in uh, slaves, again, again, ran an underground railroad, had slaves piped in here to southern Illinois to work in his salt mines because, again, he couldn't find anybody that was a normal, uh, everyday citizen that would want to do that, much less, you know, anybody else. So the only way they could pretty much do that was to force people to do it. You know, again, your everyday Joe six-pack back then would, you know, rather work on a farm or do something else that was not quite as brutal. So this was the only way they could really get people to do this job was to import slave labor. And that's what he did here. And he, uh, Made pretty good money off it, unfortunately. He was able to build a pretty good little empire, importing slaves and uh, free black citizens that were kidnapped, and he purchased also from other kidnappers like himself. And he kept a slave quarter in his mansion, which, again, some of you familiar with Southern Illinois history, for a long time, the, the Crenshaw home there has been a historical landmark in this area. Now, some years back, it was purchased by the state of Illinois uh, for a long time and then after that my understanding now it's in the hands of a private family and it's closed off to the public but for a long time it was a historical landmark to see in this area because a lot of history and again those of you that are familiar with the history of it know it's also been considered one of the most haunted homes in all of America Um, a lot of years people were not able to stay all night there or anything like that Uh, several people tried for a lot of times and couldn't do it you know claiming to hear you know, moaning and howling and just pain and misery and suffering, you know, from the uh, spirits of the deceased slaves. And it, it was a very miserable place. Unfortunately, I never got a chance to tour it before it was shut down. But I have a lot of friends and people who have. And, you know, they have said that when you enter the third floor of the home, which was where the slaves were kept, you can just sense a sense of despair and agony and just a really eerie feeling is what everybody that's ever been there has reported to me. So, that's where he kept them at, and, and to my knowledge, when it was a tour site, they do have still some of the uh, equipment and things in the chains and the uh, irons and things that he kept the slaves there secured on that third floor. And again, it had to be very brutal because, you know, it can get quite harsh here in, in the winter or summertime, so I can imagine the conditions were absolutely deplorable that they had to live in, and then, you know, live in conditions like that but still go work in the salt line mines and make him a lot of money but downstairs on the first floor it was known he had a very palatial estate there he kept a uh, pretty lively party scene and uh, he was a pillar of the community very well respected man at the time uh, from to my knowledge he uh, was even at one time possibly the richest man in Illinois they think and It was eventually, as I said, became known as the old slave house, but little did the people know at that time when they were partying on the first floor with him that up there on the third floor there were slaves up there suffering. And again, bottom line was to make him money on, you know, his salt business. And he frequently used the Saline River, which is in southeastern Illinois here, to transport Kentucky to slaves back and forth to either sell or to take some in, as I said, to work in his salt mines. Now, the home today, like I said, it it is considered haunted, even though uh, it's no longer open to the public. And it also, at that time, was known as the Hickory Hill Plantation, which was about 11,000 acres 
And in the 1830s, again, he was possibly one of the richest men in Illinois. Very well-respected uh, member of the church, the community. Um, but like so many oftentimes the case with white-collar criminals, just like your serial killers and street criminals, they can be very charming, but deep down very evil. And uh, Mr. Crenshaw was, quite frankly, an evil man, you know, to kidnap and sell people into slavery and to uh, run slavery, uh, a slavery uh, plantation here in Illinois, even though it was illegal at the time, he still did it and got away with it. But his greed, it led him to commit more, as I said, atrocities than, uh, you know, just trying to make money off of uh, slave labor in his salt mine. He was very good at committing these just absolutely brutal crimes and, in a sense, covering them up. He was very rarely ever on the radar of any type of law enforcement or anything like that. You know, like I said, again, well-respected, pillar of the community, that kind of thing. But deep down, running an illegal slave camp on his uh, salt mines, he was known, as I said, to capture, you know, runaway slaves and return them and sell them to profit or freed blacks that had traveled to north for a better way of life were kidnapped by him and sold back into slavery down south. That was the kind of evil person he was. Was not content just to be rich off of his salt mines. Unfortunately, he made a fortune also in slave trafficking and profiting off, uh, you know, runaway slaves and again running basically an underground reverse railroad. But there were a couple of attempts to actually bring him to justice. He was indicted in 1842 for the kidnapping of a lady named Maria Adams and seven or eight of her children. She was hired in the area as an indentured servant, but he and probably some of his cronies, I doubt he ever acted completely alone, kidnapped her and her children, and they were sold into slavery into Texas. He was acquitted on this charge. Now, again, I don't know how much his money or power or status in the community influenced in that because this was, you know, a long time ago, and, you know, who knows what court records are available of this. But, you know, you think about it, he was acquitted and, and found not guilty, even though probably the evidence against him certainly was overwhelming. He never did a day in jail, which again is also, as you've heard on this show, if you've listened to it enough times, a very unfortunate theme among white-collar criminals. And, you know, make no mistake about it, even though this is in the 1820s through, you know, 1840s or so, 50s, maybe when he was in his heyday of doing things, he certainly was a white-collar criminal, you know, using an illegal activity like slavery to make a profit for himself. That was highly illegal, and he was motivated by greed and money, just like, you know, white-collar criminals are. So even though he's not a Wall Street power uh, guy like uh, Bernie Madoff or Jordan Belfort or anybody like that, make no mistake about it, John Hart Crenshaw was a white-collar criminal. He was also thought to be involved in the kidnapping of a woman that was just simply known as Lucinda and her children also sold them back to Kentucky into slavery. Again, you know, if you're not familiar with Southern Illinois, we are very close to the Kentucky border. I would say a good part of Southern Illinois is probably an hour or less from the Kentucky border. So again, very easy for him to operate. And he was in, suspected of involved in the kidnapping of a man named Peter White and three others, which they sold back into slavery into Arkansas, which you know, again, depending on what part of southern Illinois you're talking from, it's not that terribly far 
to Arkansas from uh, where we're at. You know, you can get to the outskirts of Arkansas, some places in Southern Illinois, and as little as about a two-hour drive. So, again, quick, easy way for him to make money, even back then. And even though he was suspected of these crimes, he was never charged for these crimes. But as I said, the profits he made weren't enough. You know, even off of the, not only the salt mine slavery racket he had going, but also the profits from illegal uh, slave trafficking, you know. And it goes on all types of human trafficking, unfortunately, even back then and to this day. Uh, if you've kept up on the news, I saw today, this is not really related, but I guess it could be because he certainly probably made money off of it. But, you know, the singer R. Kelly today was convicted of sex trafficking crimes going to be sentenced i believe on may 4th and uh might be a possible show we'll do on that who knows um down the road because you know the human trafficking it's always almost always done for profit and for greed and you know and unfortunately to exploit fellow humans which is very low and depraved in my opinion but you know money is the motive and yeah make no mistake about it i from what i can tell from mr crenshaw here that was his sole motive you know for the things he did but unfortunately, for these cases, unlike the uh, the other lady, that he was not actually charged for any of these crimes. But he continued to operate in these uh, activities, and you know, again, like so many other white-collar criminals, he obtained his wealth through the suffering and demise of others. Um, and I'm sure, you know, like I said, we certainly know he wasn't the only one involved in these kind of activities. He was, you know, trading back and forth with other slave traders and people who were probably running businesses like his to make an illegal profit or something like that. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, he was making a fortune off these. And again, at one point to be probably the richest man in Illinois. But his case is unique because he was working against the law, you know, with the underground, you know, reverse underground railroad, you know, he was having slaves brought here, which when they were brought here, in all honesty, legally, they should have been free. You know, again, Illinois was a free state, so they should not have been bound by slavery, but that is exactly what he ran. You know, as I said, the, the Crenshaw home, the Hickory Hill plantation, all that now is often always, as I knew it when I was referred to, it's just the old slave house was what it was called, you know. And that's odd that it has a name like that because in Illinois, as I said, slavery was illegal during the Civil War. We fought on the Union side here, but he was working against that. And I don't know anybody else in this area or here in the Midwest in the, you know, the Union states, the free states that, that operated like this. Again, that's the thing that made his case so unique. And he did meet some justice. Uh, it was reported later that at one point he was attacked by one of his slaves and it caused a leg injury, which uh, it was reported he had to have later amputated. So, you know, he did meet some kind of justice, karma, however you want to put it. But still, none, nonetheless, he never spent a day in jail that I'm aware of, even though being charged, it's possibly, you know, I mentioned the one case, the kidnapping case for the Maria lady, but at the same time, uh, you know, he, he was not ever convicted or brought to justice in a true sense, and it was reported he possibly might have been charged with one other similar type of a kidnapping-type offense, but supposedly was also acquitted on that. And, you know, again, we don't know how much his power and money and influence or anything like that played a role in it, but you can almost rest assured that it did. You know, even back then, I'm sure it's no different than now, even though we're talking over a 150-year difference here. 
it's still no different. And, uh, you know, as I say at the beginning of the show, the only color that really truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. And, you know, he certainly had plenty of green to buy any type of power or influence or anything like that. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, was able to continue to operate and make a lot of money. And, you know, the sad thing, as I pointed out to a lot of people, simply were not aware of what he was doing. I'm sure, you know, the good folks of Southern Illinois back then would not have supported had they known he was running, you know, an underground reverse uh, rare sex or, I'm sorry, slavery trafficking system here and in keeping slaves in the, you know, upper part of his mansion there, you know, selling freed slaves back into the Southern states into slavery. I mean, most people would have been, you know, back then, you know, shocked and outraged at that. But, Unfortunately, a lot of people just simply didn't know what he was doing and what he was about. And, you know, like I said uh, on the last episode about Charles Ponzi being able to operate, you know, a stock firm and everything like that without any, uh, you know, licensing or certification or anything. But again, this was an era where it was you didn't know things like you know about people now. I mean, now you can find people's court records and, you know, social media and everything. You can know almost everything there is to know about somebody's life now in an instant. But in the 1820s, 30s, 40s, when Crenshaw was in his heyday, that certainly wasn't the case. And, you know, Southern Illinois, even to this day, is a very rural and spread out area. And I can imagine it was very, you know, sparsely populated back then. So, Certainly, even more so, you know, would have been hard to detect or find out what somebody was doing. And, you know, he operated at night. You know, my understanding, you know, the slaves that he trafficked on the rivers there, he did that during the night to avoid detection and, you know, was unfortunately very successful at this and uh, made a lot of money. And, again, as he often did at the, you know, as as, as I said, often as white-collar criminals do, it was at the demise and suffering uh, of others and uh, even children you know i mean what kind of a sick depraved criminal will sell children into uh you know slavery and into you know that type of lifestyle you know very sick very evil and again all for a profit and that's the scary thing that almighty dollar makes us do to our fellow man folks unfortunately uh some very wicked things we do out of greed and, you know, it just never seems to be enough. You know, I always remember, and I've quoted on this show before, the John D. Rockefeller quote of, you know, how much money is enough money. Quote, one more dollar. That's what he said. So only God really knows if he, you know, what justice he met and, you know, what his punishment maybe he's been in the afterlife, if any at all. You know, I don't know if he maybe repented of his sins before he died. You know, again, that's only between him and God. But like I said, as far as the judicial system is concerned, even though there were a couple efforts to bring him to justice, he never was brought to justice and never did truly ever spend a single day in jail for any of the really evil and depraved things he did. And that's sad. And, you know, you only hope that he, you know, had to answer to God at least for the things that he did do in this life. And, you know, unfortunately made a profit, but... uh you know, as the Lord said, you know, what does does it good to do a man to, you know, gain the whole world and lose his soul? And I would say certainly Mr. Crenshaw lost his soul long before he came to the end of his time. But uh, he did enjoy a lot of wealth and prestige and, you know, being a good upstanding member of the community, so people thought. But in the end, you know, we only know, God only knows what happened to his uh, soul and uh, hopefully the people that suffered under him were able to, you know, find closure and, you know, their lives hopefully got better at some point down the road. But who knows, you know, again, a lot of suffering had to be done because of what he did. 
And we're going to talk down the road. We got other future episodes coming out. Like I said, I I may at some point do one on the R. Kelly situation with you know that's come up in the news today. Uh, look forward to doing the next one. I'm going to cover one on the Flint water, Flint Michigan water crisis. A lot of you remember that, and this is a good example of what happens when the government gets involved in uh, white collar crime. So it's not always just the businessman trying to rip somebody off and make a profit. Unfortunately, the government sometimes does engage in white collar crime too. And we're going to see a good example of that with that Flint, Michigan case. A lot of you don't remember that. That's been in the news not too many years ago, uh, very recently. So be a good discussion. And we always enjoy having you for these discussions. Uh, you know, again, like the Facebook page I have, the White Collar Crimes. Uh, tune in for us each week. Uh, we appreciate the followings, the five-star ratings. Uh, you can donate on the link to the Anchor page here if you want to donate money to keep us going. But as I always say, we much more appreciate your viewership and you tuning in to be part of us every week. Uh, again, there's just cases a lot of times that don't get a lot of coverage in the news, but it's good to get these stories out here because not all crime is done by, you know, a hoodlum out on the street. Some very rich and powerful people do some very evil things, and that's what we talk about here on this show. But it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you for being here. Look forward to having you on the next one. God bless and take care, everybody.